Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Cole Sports. You have entered the zone called sports on another level. And now, here's your host, Cole Johnson. Cole Sports! I am that man, your man, the illustrious tour guide, Cole Johnson. And on this episode, we're going to talk about week eight of the college football season. Week seven of the NFL season kicked off. We're going to talk about that as well. Can we see 70 goals by a player in the NHL? Hmm. Go back in history and upon further review, of course, award of Dota of the Week. And, of course, we're going to have From the Vault as well. But for right now, let's get to the headlines. Dateline College Football. Seven weeks down and seven weeks to go. Wow. More football ahead. Now, that's exciting. And for others who are matching up this weekend, the same goes for them. You have Michigan traveling East Lansing to go against Michigan State. You have Washington and Colorado meeting up and hoping that they don't continue their losing streaks. But the game of focus, in my opinion, it is Clemson, North Carolina State. Dateline Toronto. Now, we saw 90 goals at one time back in the 80s with Wayne Gretzky, and he would sneeze 50-goal seasons like it was nothing. We saw an 86-goal season by Brett Hull, the Blues great. But we haven't seen a player come close to those stats since then, and we're talking almost 30 years. Well, the new sensation of the league, not just the Maple Leafs, Austin Matthews is possibly on that streak. Now, if he were to go on this, the, the tear that he is going on, seven games thus far, 10 goals and 16 points, it is quite possible, quite possible he could, if he continues that streak, get to mm, 80, maybe 90 goals in a season. NBC analyst Ed Olzik had this to say about the possibility of a 70-goal season for Matthews. Quote, to score 50 in this league is an incredible accomplishment. To close in on 60 would be MVP stuff. Close quote. Now, the one thing that I have learned in my elevated understanding of sports is offense sells more tickets. It's just how it is. Dateline London and Jacksonville. It was leaked earlier this week that the Jaguars owner, Shad Khan, was looking to move the team from Jacksonville to London. And why would you say that, you would ask? Well, he put in a bid to buy Wembley Stadium, and that bid was almost $900 million. Well, because of the divisive nature of that bid and the prospect of the team moving from Jacksonville to London, somewhat satisfying Commissioner Roger Goodell's hope and dream of having an NFL team be in Europe, especially in London, the deal got shot down. Khan pulled his bid, and now the Jaguars will be in Jacksonville for the foreseeable future. Dateline Sakakas. 
the G League gets a shot in the arm and the one-and-done rule gets a setback. The G League said that they would promise those who do not want to set foot on a college campus the possibility of earning $125,000 a year. And they do say select because it depends on the talent of the player, obviously. The chair of the Commission of College Basketball, Condoleezza Rice, yes, the same former Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice, had this to say six months ago about the one-and-done rule. Quote, Elite high school players with NBA prospects and no interest in college degrees should not be forced to attend college, often for less than a year. One and done has to go, one way or another. Close quote. I agree with her on the one and done has to go, but here's where I'm going to disappoint and probably draw your ire, VIP. I still believe that no NBA player should be under the age of at least 20, if not 21. Dateline Los Angeles! Now, you know the NBA is in full swing when you have Charles Barkley talking again. One of the most exciting parts about the NBA season is to have the NBA player turned Hall of Famer, turned NBA analyst, and speak on an array of topics. Now, there are analysts who think that the Lakers, as currently constituted, is going to be the main challenger in the West to the Golden State Warriors. Barkley thinks otherwise, and he had this to say about that. Quote, What kind of team are they? Are they going to let those young guys play, or are they going to put those old guys out there? That's why I didn't understand, because those old guys are not their future. Ball, Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, that's their future. So I don't know what the Lakers are doing. Are they going to try to groom these young guys and go forward with LeBron? Or are they trying to play those old guys? I think that's going to be the most fascinating thing. I mean, I have no idea what the Lakers are doing. Are they a young team or are they an old team? I think that's what I'm going to be watching for the most. Close quote. You and I would say half of NBA fan will be watching that too because that is what people are asking. And because of this schism that is existing, are they an old team or a young team? The Lakers can't challenge for the NBA crown and they can't challenge for the, and they can't challenge for a Western Conference crown either. Because when you have a question mark like this in the Lakers going up against a bold, italicized, underlined, underscored exclamation point in the Warriors who have been on top for five years, you don't have an answer for that if you still have questions coming into the regular season as to what type of team you are. So I agree with Barkley. That's an astute analysis. Now, can we be wrong? Certainly. But I highly doubt that we are. Dateline Nashville. Part of me is warm-hearted about what I'm going to say, but most of me is extremely frustrated. And why? Because Titans head coach... Mike Vrabel is trying to say the sky is not falling in the Titans season. They are in first place in the AFC South with tiebreak advantages over the Jaguars and the Texans, who both are three and three along with the Titans. But their last two games have been an indication of trending downward. Vrabel had this to say about securing the trust in the team going forward. Quote. We're not going to have a mid-season report. We're not going to have a State of the Union address. We're going to get better. We're going to try to improve it. We're going to try to take what we have 
and give them the best opportunity to go make some plays. We have to get the quarterback going and improve this week. Close quote. Now, for those of you who have not followed the Titans, here's what he's talking about. In their 20-17 victory over the Texans in Nashville, it took a fake punt for a touchdown for one of those touchdowns to be scored. And they scored another one, but that offense was anemic. In their 9-6 victory over the Jaguars in Jacksonville, no touchdowns were scored, only three field goals. Now, their defense, they're holding up their end of the bargain. They only allowed two field goals in that game. And the defense played wonderful in Buffalo. They held the Bills to 13 points. The problem was with whole ton of miscues, missed opportunities, and botched play, the offense only managed to score four field goals, which for those of you who are at home, four field goals equals 12 points. That's not enough to beat a team that scored 13. A team, mind you, that has looked horrible and anemic in every other game save for that one and the one they played in Minneapolis. And then... The 21 to nothing beat down they received at home against the Ravens. The offensive line gave up more sacks. Quarterback of the Titans, Marcus Mariota, completed passes. 11 sacks to 10 completions. There's your midseason report, Vrabel. There is your State of the Union address. Your offense sucks. Your offensive line is horrible. Your offensive play calling is horrid. And you can improve that just by saying there is nothing to see here. Dateline Major League Baseball Playoffs. Now, as of this recording, the Brewers and the Dodgers are going to be playing game set. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. They're going to be playing game seven. To see who is going to be the National League representative in the World Series. We already know who the American League representative is going to be. That title belongs to the Boston Red Sox, who took care of the world champions in four straight games. Yes, yes, I know. I know Astros fan. I'm an Astros fan, too. They won the first game in Boston. You have a sweep. After that first game, a gentleman sweep, as they would call it, you have to tip your cap to the better team. But I'm not really talking about that per se. There was a report that was out talking about Dodgers shortstop Manny Machado being a dirty player. Now, he had a couple of questionable slides in game three of the NLCS, but it was followed up in game four by what seemed to be the intentional kick of the leg of the Brewers first baseman, Jesus Aguilar. Machado is basically shrugging his shoulders and has this to say about being called a dirty player. Quote. If that's dirty, that's dirty. I don't know. Call it what you want. Close quote. Dateline Glendale. Man, I was excited and pumped and hyped about Thursday night's football game between the Denver Broncos and the Arizona Cardinals. And what we saw was a 45 to 10 thrashing. Oh, my goodness. Of the Cardinals by the Broncos. Oh, my goodness. Mm. 
later, Dota of the Week and upon further review. But immediately following the break, we have to go. Sports now on Spotify. Welcome. dive into some controversy. So after the Red Sox dispatched of the Astros 8-2 in Game 3 of the American League Championship Series, first inning of Game 4 got off to a rousing and riveting and spirited start. Second baseman Jose Adulve of the Astros hit a shot opposite field. American League MVP candidate, more than likely the winner, we'll find out next month, Mookie Betts went to the wall, timed his leap, ended up having problems catching the ball. Was it interference or was it not? Oh, I'm about to go Astros fan will not forget many things. Game six of the NLCS with Billy Hatcher's, well, close to Carlton Fisk's. <laughs> stay fair, stay fair, stay fair, Homer, that rocked the Astrodome the moment the Astros clinched their first World Series trip in 2005, but before then, the moonshot that Albert Pujols hit of the Cardinals then to force a game six in the NLCS off of Brad Lidge. And, of course, November 1st of last year, in the Astros clinching their first World Series championship at Dodger Stadium. Well, more than likely, they will not forget this either. First inning, Game 4, American League Championship Series. The Astros are down two games to one against the Boston Red Sox. The Red Sox already got on the board, and the Astros were looking to get back the two runs that they lost in the first inning. So, Jose Altuve steps up to the plate. He has a drive to right field. Betts goes back. Back, back to the track, to the wall, he leaps. And wait a minute, there's about three different fans where his glove collides with. The ball hits his glove, the ball rolls out back onto the field. Altuve is at second. More than likely, we're thinking that it was a miscatch and a double for Altuve with the RBI, making the score 2-1 to one at worst. If not, just a straight-up home run to make the game 2-2, two, two. but not so fast. The crew chief, Joe West, who has been in the center of a lot of controversy in calls similar to this nature, ruled that he was out and instant replay proved inconclusive. NFL, thank you for teaching us that word because of your sometimes inept replay reviewing. Although it's gotten better the past few years. I digress. Of course, Minute Maid Park 
exploded in a cascade of boos because they felt that this was an unfair ruling, especially afterwards when the game was over and the Red Sox won it 8-6, to that Wes said that he had inconclusive viewing of the, the shot because the camera angles could not give him a better view. Now, for the understanding of the interference. No interference shall be allowed when a fielder reaches over a fence, railing, or rope, in, or into a stand to catch the ball. He does so at his own risk. However, should a spectator reach out on the playing field side of the fence, railing, or rope, and plainly prevent the fielder from catching the ball, then the batsman should be called out for the spectator's interference. That's in the rule book. Now, with my own two eyes, now people know that I am an admitted Astros fan. In fact, if you doubt that, tune into my episode of Hashtag Earned History. You'll check that on the show notes and you'll know that I'm a legitimate Astros fan. But being as though that I have a heart that bleeds navy and orange, West's call was right. And why do I say that? I know that's going to anger many an age tan, but that's just the truth. Why do I say the call was right? I looked at one of the vantage points that I could see, and there was a fan wearing a white button-down, silver hair, and he was reaching for the ball. He had his left hand on the wall. He had his right hand over the wall into the field of play, reaching for it. And how can I tell there was some shadow underneath his arm showing to me that he was reaching over the fence and into the field? Now, the ball, he didn't catch, obviously. There was two fans to the right of him that collided with the ball and bets his glove, and there you have the controversy. But for me, the moment that fan reached over the wall and into the field of play, I said, well, right there, that's proof he's out because you had a fan who interfered. For Baltimore Orioles fan, Steve Hanish, running Raven Podcast, this is for you. Game 1, 1996, Mega League Championship Series, you had this then 12-year-old Jeffrey Marr who reached over the fence and caught a ball from Derek Jeter hit opposite way for what was ruled as a homer. But by the letter of this law, that should have been ruled an out. Now, instant replay wasn't as prominent in 1996 as it is now, 22 years later. However, the same problem exists because that play should have been reviewed back in 1986 and that play should have been reviewed better since you have the technology now in 2018. Now, it's not that Major League Baseball is poor, so there isn't a reason or rationale for me to not place review cameras somewhere along the fence and place it in different areas. Now, in certain areas, you don't need it, like the left field walls of the Green Monster in Fenway and in Minute Maid. But for both parks, right field's walls, you can scale the wall and catch it. So there is, to me, no excuse in having the current camera layout as it is today. Put cameras, if you can put it on a file pole, do it there. You can put it there, which I've seen them do. And you can put it on different spots of the field and the ball happens to hit the camera, so be it. It just hits the camera. You can rule that a homer anyway, depending on where you have the camera. But having inconclusive evidence in a game of that importance, that to me is a faux pas of Major League Baseball. And if it weren't for another entity, I would have put you all at Dota the Week, but I couldn't because the call was right. I'm sorry, the call was right. Would I have liked for it to be a homer? Yeah. Could there be an argument for it? Sure. Do I think the argument is valid? No. And poor Troy Caldwell, who now will go down in infamy like Jeffrey Meyer, who now is 34, and Steve Bartman, who 20 years ago in the NLCS, game six between the Marlins and the Cubs in Wrigley Field, snatched a foul ball out of Moises Alou's hand or glove. 
and Bartman was so shamed in Chicago, he went to hiding and we haven't heard a peep from him since. Well, now the brother-in-law of Mr. Caldwell said on KTRK TV that he was receiving death threats because of the incident. Death threats. This is why I call many of you fan because it is sort of fanatic and many of you think along those similar lines. This man does not deserve any type of death threats thrown in his direction. And neither does Joe West. He did what he thought was right. He did what he could do within the confines of what was given him. The fact that you had shoddy camera angles is not West's fault. That's majorly baseball office's fault. Because now in this day and age, two plus months away from 2019, it's hard to excuse not having the technology to make sure you have controversial plays be ruled and double checked correctly. Well, the Astros won't defend their championship. It'll go to another team. However, 2018 will not be a year where they'll remember what didn't happen. They will unfortunately be haunted by what did. And now, did he or didn't he will pretty much underline, underscore, and typify what they all will think about the 2018 season. Not the missed opportunities. Not the ace getting banged up and beaten down in their win or go home game. Not the fact that no other arm stepped up except for Justin Verlander in game one, and even he had trouble. Not the fact that the porous starting pitching from David Price, nor the bullpen of the Red Sox, didn't falter. Not the fact that it seemed as though the pitching staffs of the Red Sox and Astros switched uniforms. But did that fan interfere or not in Jose Altulve's possible homer? 103 games they won, their NLDS victory and sweep over the Indians, the possibility of missing out on the World Series, those will not be in the play or the purview of the Astros. It will be game four, first inning, ALCS, missed opportunity because they feel robbed of a homer. But I'm here to tell you, Stroh's, you weren't robbed. You were beaten by the better team. Later, we're going to take a trip back into time to a familiar refrain. Wait a minute. Trip back into time for me? Refrain? What am I talking about? A Pomford review is what will be unveiled later. But coming up next... Here we go. Gold of the week time. It's next. You've tuned into the classiest sports show on the planet. Gold Sports. From the vault, a look back at a key moment in sports history. October 20th, 1982. 
The Fall Classic received a classic between the American League champions, Milwaukee Brewers, and the National League champions, St. Louis Cardinals. The series, just like Game 7 itself, was an up-and-down roller coaster between a team that was about hitting a three-run homer and the fast and the furious. So the contrast in styles of power versus speed came down to Game 7. The Brewers were up 3-1, to one, the Cardinals charged back furiously, and they won 6-3. to three. Suter from the belt to the plate, a swing and a miss, and that's the winner! That's the winner! A World Series winner for the Cardinals! Porter throws his mask into the air, the players converge around. The Cardinals will go on to be in the World Series in 1985, while the Brewers, they haven't been to the World Series since. And now, the Brewers and the Cardinals are NL Central rivals. From the Vault, brought to you by Ball. Johnson here. Dolt of the week. Dolt of the week. Sponsored by nobody, but we're still going to give it to you straight with no chaser. The winner of this episode's Dolt of the week. The winners of this episode's Dota of the Week are... The United States of America Gymnastics Program. Now, why are they getting this award? I'm so glad you asked. You see, this wonderful governing body is supposed to protect and serve the best interests of the gymnasts who train under them in Colorado Springs and other areas of the country. They hired a doctor. I think you all know that doctor. His name was Larry Nasser. Yeah, yeah, the same one who got Michigan State in trouble too. Yeah, mm-hmm. the same Larry Nasser who on record fondled, abused, and sexually assaulted 350 gymnasts in both Michigan State, and I'm not talking about them, and the USAG, I am talking about them, turned a blind eye to it. Hey, we're getting results. You know, we're, we're getting the Simone Biles to do things. We're getting the Gabby Douglases. We're getting the Ellie Raismans. We're getting results. We getting gold medals and Olympiads. We don't care that the guy is a creep. But they just turn the other way. Well, 
the guy who was leading USA Gymnastics, Steve Penny, was brought up on federal charges and arrested. Now, according to a release from the district attorney in Walker County, Texas, David Weeks, it was discovered that Mr. Penny, the former CEO of United States of America Gymnastics, ordered the removal of documents from the Caroli Ranch. And for those who don't know and those who are in the know, that is the all-world coach, Bella Caroli, the one who coached Nadia Comaneci back in 1976 to a whole ton of gold medals in Romania, defected to America, and he's been teaching gymnasts such as Mary, Mary Lou Redden and Carrie Strug ever since. And he has a famous gymnastics program complex north of Houston. Now, he ordered removal of documents from, their, from that ranch. After learning the Texas Rangers were investigating allegations that Larry Nasser had sexually abused gymnasts there. The records were delivered to Penny in Indianapolis, but their current whereabouts are unknown. The statement went on to read as follows. Quote. The removal of the documents was done for the purpose of impairing the ongoing investigation by destroying or hiding the documents. The Texas Rangers and the detectives believe that those records would have helped in their investigation of Nasser as well as assisted in the investigation of other offenses that may have occurred at the Caroli Ranch. Close quote. When are you going to wake up and realize that you can't cover up evil like this? You can't be this immature, this insidious this hideous to want to take advantage of women young women and girls because we're not talking about 18 19 20 year olds only because some of these girls come to these ranches these programs probably at the age of eight nine ten and i'm sure if you were to really get them on the stand the simone biles the gabby douglases the ali raismans even the D Dominique Dawes, if you were to get all of them on the stand, I'm sure they would give you a story or two about how Nasser was acting as though he was Larry Flint. But you just covered it up. Turn the blind eye to it all. Because the USA Gymnastics Organization is above all reproach. No, you're not. And thankfully, Nasser is in jail the rest of his life for harming so many different girls and abusing so many different girls for decades on end, not just for a year or two years or a few years, for decades on end. And and to me, I thought it was just in Colorado Springs and East Lansing, Michigan. It turns out it also happened in Houston too and possibly wherever the Olympiads were. <sighs> Cover up. Just straight cover up. It's ridiculous that we seem to still have this issue. And this mess seems to be even worse than we originally thought. I think we were all settled on the fact, well, hey, Nasser's in jail. Good. We don't have to concern ourselves with this anymore. No. And I agree with the Texas Rangers and I agree with this investigation. Nasser couldn't be the only person complicit. There has to be somebody else, too. Or I should say somebody's else. And it sort of makes the interim CEO, or I should say the now former interim CEO of USA Gymnastics, Mary Bono, tame in comparison. But she took a job where it is a straight up literal hot seat. Because in 
the climate of today's USA Gymnastics, any misstep will be taken as being oppressive. Since you oppressed young ladies, you can't impre- you can't oppress them any further because all eyes are on the CEO seat of USA Gymnastics. As the former GOP Congresswoman found out in the month before she took the job as interim CEO, she felt the need to fight the power, take a picture of a performance shoe with a Nike insignia on it, take a marker and blot out the swoosh proudly. Well, of course, that angered Simone Biles, who retorted on Twitter. That was a month before she took the job. Now, when she did take the job, the photo surfaced, circulated quickly, went viral, and the outcry for her to be fired was immediate and swift. And she did after only serving four days on the job. And in her letter of resignation, she wrote this. Quote. My withdrawal comes in the wake of personal attacks that left undefended would have made my leading USAG a liability for the organization. Close quote. You got that right. Now, she later addressed that tweet by saying the following. Quote. I deeply regret posting the tweet because I respect everyone's views and their fundamental right to express them. Close quote. Now, for those on the right who would say that's not right, she expressed an opinion. She should be able to do that. You're right. But what's that argument that you all pose to those who say, well, Colin Kaepernick had a right to kneel, but you said, well, the employers had a right to to get him out. Uh, That's the same premise here. Yeah, she had the right to do this, but the board also had a right to put a foot in the butt and shove her out the door. Same thing. Her freedom of expression was was rife with consequences. So you have to accept the consequences, whether you whether you like it or not. And part of it was that part of it was, well, Nike was a big sponsor of USAG. Also, part of it was the thought process of, well, you've been oppressive in the sexual understanding of what the caretakers of USAG does. This is only another sign of that because that's how it's taken. And plus, it does affect money because Biles is sponsored by Nike. So here she is, her boss, who says, forget Nike. But Biles, who's sponsored by Nike, that's a conflict of interest. So that had to happen. Did I want that to happen? No, but it had to happen. Unfortunate as it is, it had to happen. Why? Because the person who sat in her seat before her was complicit in being ridiculous, was complicit in covering up a pedophile. And the USAG turned their backs on those young girls. And so when they saw an interim CEO come in, and even though it was monetarily, when they saw that she was sort of turning her backs on these young girls and these young women, the board said, "Eh, no, we can't have this either. You all are in a crisis because his was so funny and messed up about it. The gymnastics program could not have come off of a better Olympiad performance, especially the women, than it did in Brazil in 2016. We're just two years removed from probably the best USA women's gymnastics performance in its program's history. And it has devolved and has spiraled downward. We're not even thinking about competing with the best in the world. We actually have to think of we got to treat our eight to 20 year old girls slash women better than the u.s olympic committee because yes i have an eye towards you too 
because you let this go on for too long as well, as well as USA Gymnastics. This is an issue. This is a problem. And I really don't believe that you have been on the ball fast enough. If there has been documented evidence that one Larry Nasser has been abusing these girls since 1995 and you had him on the staff from then all the way to around 2016. And then you have other people who are like, uh, no, we can't have this happen because we can't see we can't have them see how depraved this whole situation really is. It's depravity at its finest. It's oppression at its best. And it's time to clean up the oppression. Let's get it out of here. When I return, we're going to take a trip back in the time. As I said earlier, we're going to talk a little bit of oppression as well in this subject. And upon further review... Sports now on Patreon. Thank you, VIP. Installment and edition of Cold Sports Week 9 Man, I mean the weeks just keep on flying by Of the college football season Week 8 of the NFL also will be discussed We'll dive a little further into the start of the NBA season As LeBron Mania has taken shape and taken form already Of course, award of Dota of the Week Go in on the topic and, and upon further review I think we're going to go in a route befitting of the month of October That's for later And that's for next week This week, though, we're not finished because we're going to talk about a topic that seems to be glossed over, but it's perfect and apropos to bring back up now. So you had an anniversary of an incident that took place, speaking of Olympiads, in the 1968 Olympic Games where a protest was made. I think you know where I'm going with this one. And upon further review... In an elongated from the fall, October 16th, 1968, we're talking about the 200 meter race, Mexico City, in the nice warm fall air, because it is warm in Mexico City in October. This race was won by Tommy Smith, who you don't hear about all that much. He's the gold medalist in this. Peter Norman, the Australian, who was the silver medalist, who plays a big role in this story. And the bronze medalist, now Dr. John Carlos. We've heard more about him than the other two combined in the intervening 50 years since. Now, for those of you who don't know the situation nor the event, I'll walk it out for you. So they performed the race. Smith came in first. Norman came in second. Carlos came in third. And as with every ceremony in the medal presentation, you walk on stands. Well, of course, whoever came in first place is center and at the top. 
number two is in front and a little bit lower. Number three is a little lower than number two and it's behind the number one guy. So they award the, the medals, the bronze first, then the silver, then the gold. Then all three athletes or all three bodies turn toward the flag and they all have to salute the national anthem of the winning team or winning player of that country. Well, obviously, since Smith was a United States citizen, the Star Spangled Banner played. Well, in the midst of that, Smith and Carlos took off their shoes and they took off their shoes in a in a statement of poverty being epidemic, being a problem in America. And it was somewhat addressed by the Fair Housing Act by LBJ, somewhat. Along with that, they were armed with black gloves. Smith with the right hand, Carlos with the left hand. Now, why was it that both fists weren't clad in gloves? Well, they didn't have two gloves each. They only had one, and it wasn't their gloves. So before the ceremony, before the medal presentation, Norman, who understood what Smith and Carlos were doing, gave each man a glove. He gave Smith his right glove gave Carlos his left glove and the glove was of course black and in the midst of the song both Smith and Carlos raised their clenched fists clad in those gloves in the air now back then when you saw that it was a sign of black power and of course that signified the oppression of black people as a whole in that country now mind you it was valid because six months before that Martin Luther King Jr. died he was assassinated in Memphis so you had this void in the American diaspora of hope, of sanctity, of being equal. And many would probably say, well, you had the the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act passed years before that happened. Yeah, true. But it doesn't mean oppression still didn't exist because it did. And it did after that event happened because even after some whistling and booing in the Mexico City crowd, Smith and Carlos were ushered away from the event and they were ostracized from the United States Olympic Committee until this week. Yes, you heard me correctly. 50 years they were ostracized from USOC and that wrong was righted this week. Now I mentioned Peter Norman's name. Peter Norman was white. He wasn't a black Australian. He was a white Australian. But he understood their plight, understood why they were doing it. And he got ostracized by the Australian Olympic body. And I believe it was back in 2010, maybe between 2005, 2010, the Australian Olympic Committee reached out to Norman and said, we will reinstate you as a citizen of the Olympic Committee in Australia if you apologize for having your part in the Black Power Salute stance that Smith and Carlos did. When Norman said no, Australia still ostracized him, and they did so until his death. So he died not being a part of something after he did something, one, heroic, two, courageous, and three, human, to help the cause be told even greater to two American citizens who felt ostracized by their country. Man, does that sound familiar? And I keep telling people, the more things change, the more they stay the same. So you had these athletes do a silent protest, a silent one. They polarized America. And they just simply made them both persona non grata because they quietly lived their lives outside of the public eye for the most part. Of course, Dr. Carlos ended up getting his doctorate, has been on book tours, and he's now a public speaker. Now, Smith and Carlos were part of a panel earlier this week talking about the anniversary of that stance. And Dr. Carlos had this to say about how he felt 
what he thought and if he should or shouldn't participate. Quote, my thoughts were, once you make the statement, whether you live or die, they can never take the statement away. Close quote. He's right. Five decades later, it still lives onward. And not just that particular presentation or demonstration. Just last month, Nike backed another player who did a silent protest during the national anthem as well. I think you know him as Colin Kaepernick. And the same thing happened with him, although it wasn't on the Olympic stage. It was on the NFL stage, as did Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Now, another panelist who was there, Wyona Tyus, a member of the track team for the women's side for the United States. She had this to say, witnessing the event itself. Quote. When they got to the victory stand, we were wondering, what are they going to do? When the national anthem started and they did this, the stadium got completely quiet. It was eerie. No one was saying anything. You could hear people talking, hear people booing, hear people whistling, hear people cheering. I thought, I hope nothing happens to them. Close quote. The reason why I had to bring this particular event up now is I see so many parallels between this event and the one Colin Kaepernick did 48 years later, except this wasn't a kneel. They stood for the anthem and got ostracized. Let me say this one more time. They stood. Tommy Smith and John Carlos stood and they got ostracized for their silent protest. You know, it's as if with certain things, and I'm beginning to think it's more than just certain things, people just don't want to learn. They don't want to either learn or they don't want to feel or emote or or be transposed from one body to another and understand the pain of feeling less than a human being because of a skin color, because of a socioeconomic plight, because of stereotypes passed down from generation to generation to generation, that you don't mean a thing, that you're a racial slur, and that you can legally get gunned down and murdered. And the person who did the killing can walk away scot-free live in comfort knowing they did a crime meanwhile the family of the fallen have to pick up the pieces with tears streaming down their face eyes bloodshot red because they didn't want to have their son or in certain cases their daughter be the one that was fallen to this insidious poison of racism and systemic oppression they didn't want to feel that pain they didn't want to have that understanding of my boy is gone because of this stupidity or my girl is gone because of this inane nonsense. So for those who simply cannot wrap their brain around the fact that athletes care about other people, that athletes actually have compunction, that athletes can emote, that athletes can empathize with other people and they have a higher platform than the normal regular Joe and Jane on this earth. And they're going to use that to talk about something that most people could really care less about unless it visits their front door listen to them but you're wrapped in the understanding that's different than pure utter basic empathy that's what carlos and smith did back in 1968 that's what kaepernick did in 2016 that is what reed is doing even to this moment but all four of these who silently protest are considered the most vilified people Reflecting on the 50 years since that incident and that stance took place, Carlos had this to say about it. 
quote I said we're trained to listen to the gun when we go out and do what we do everyone's going to be in shock everyone became deadly silent I said Tommy they're going to shoot they're going to shoot in that void listen to that gun we've been trained fortunately God got us through that close quote the last sentence is the most important aspect of it all through the hardship through the suffering through then even the grieving process we grieve MLK 50 years later that was only six months after his death through the systemic oppression that we see through police reform that still needs to exist and happen in this country through all the ills socioeconomic educational human and civil God has to get us through it and God is telling us all to continue to say to the rest who do not understand that you got to care for your fellow man help them out if you happen to like this episode or any episode that you have heard thus far the subscribe button is just flashing like a neon sign. Click it and you will have all of Cold Sports at your disposal. ColdSports.com is where you can get it and you can subscribe to a podcatcher, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Acast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and every other place where you can catch this podcast. And if you feel the need to reach out to me on Instagram, it's Cold Sports with a Z. At Facebook, it is Cold Sports with a Z. At Twitter, it's Cole underscore Sports with a Z. And it's Cold Sports with a Z dot com on the website. And if you feel the need to write longer than just 280 characters, you can reach me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at Cold Sports with a Z dot com. I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And I only ask for three simple things. Love your neighbor as yourself and love yourself with all your heart. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend about this particular program and enjoy the content. Thank you so much, VIP. For the Intelligent Sportsman, I am Cole Johnson, and this is... You've been listening to Cole Sports with Cole Johnson. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.